This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Every town throughout their history has that mythical character, that mythical figure that you just don't know if it's real. Most people call that guy the Paul Bunyan of their town. Well, we have a Paul Bunyan of Kansas City. His name is Old Pino. It's time to find out what one of the most mythical characters in Kansas City had going on in his life, and if he truly was for real. Well, I said in the intro, it's like a real-life Kansas City version of Paul Bunyan. But the more I think <laughs> about it, Diane, this old Pino dude is more like Bill Brasky from Saturday Night Live. Do you remember the old Bill Brasky skits? I know Bill Brasky. He once ate 10 shrimp cocktails and, you know, <laughs> went out and drove a car with his arm and then flipped it and carried the car away. Like all of these like stories about Bill Brasky yeah. are, are out there. And I mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of the case with old Pino who. 124 years old is how old he was when he died. I don't know that I'm buying this this story. I don't know if I buy it either, but God, it makes for a good story, right? This is when we get into Kansas City folklore versus, versus Kansas City's history. We have to look at it and think, what would have caused somebody to engrave on a headstone, to be clear, in mm-hmm. St. Mary's Cemetery, originally in the Catholic Cemetery downtown, moved later to St. Mary's Cemetery, have it literally say, this J. Pino Fornays died July 17th, 1871, aged 124 years. Like they, they put that in stone because it was such an impressive thing. People wanted to believe you could live long lives. And back then in the 1870s, long life certainly wasn't even 80s would have been old, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So 124, like you're a legend. And this guy was, a, I mean, essentially a legend, but it was fun trying to figure out who was he, who, what can we prove? Cause I have to, as a historian, prove the facts or look at the facts and then also look at how maybe the conjecture would have occurred that old, old Pino was almost, uh, you know, a, a, over a century old plus a quarter of a century. <laughs> well, I mean, be, be 124 is old today. I mean, that like that, oh, yeah. if anybody reaches that kind of stage today, you're like, oh, my gosh, they've lived a very long and full life. But this guy, I mean, the, the stories that, that this guy has told or has yeah. been part of or however we want to phrase it are unbelievable. Like he was a Canadian that was born allegedly before America was a country. <laughs> and then at some point in his life, walked from Canada to the United States. And like, that's just the beginning of who this guy is. So he's walking across the, from Canada to the United States to make a better life for himself, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So his story. Good point. Good point. So he says, and apparently a lot of people, you can imagine he, this guy was single and never got married. 
he's an old mountain man. So, and there's no pictures of him. So we have to like, you know, use our imagination. He looks exactly like you're picturing right now. It's probably, you know, just like old and hard life sun, you know, drenched skin that's now wrinkled to, I mean, he probably looks old at 40, to be mm -hmm. clear, which is probably what led to these, you know, these stories of him, you know, being so old and he probably just rolled with it. But in the same token, if you were uneducated and, and he was a devout Catholic, but if you were uneducated, why did you need to know your age? Back then you didn't need, you didn't need it for your driver's license. You didn't need it for a passport. You didn't need it to prove that you could work legally. You just, were what you were and so he probably didn't know how old he was to be fair but he did tell stories that he puts himself this is what he he puts himself out mending a fence on his father's farm when the battle of quebec broke out in 1759 mm -hmm. so if you're mending a fence you got to be able to hold a hammer <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know what i mean he's not yeah. diapers so it's like, okay, and then people would question him. Now, remember, not educated, but people would question him. Educated people would question him. And his facts all added up. So they thought, well, it's true because he, now was he told those stories and then remembered it? I mean, who knows? But the fact of the matter is people really did believe he had such a memory of this that it was true. He also said some other things or in the paper, it was documented. The man couldn't read or write. So it was all secondhand information, but um, he said he was part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. Yeah, and I wanted to, I, I wanted yeah. to get to that. I wanted to kind of say, all right, so he walks to America, claims yeah, he walks to America, fighting, in, you know, in the French Revolution in Canada or whatever it was, <laughs> then decides, you know what, I've, I've done enough of this. I'm going to walk to America and then I'm going to join up with Lewis and Clark. And that's when you start to go. All right, Maybe Mr. Not. Brasky, Mr. Paul Bunyan here. What yeah. kind of more tall tales are we are we saying? Were you involved in the Louisiana Purchase? Did you fight in the Civil War as well as the American Revolution War? Like, what do we got going on here? So the first like kind of like hmm moment for mm -hmm. me was like I was with Lewis and Clark. That never really added up, did it? No, it didn't. And so he said, yes. Yeah, so he said he walked from Quebec to Pittsburgh. Um, which is possible. I mean, if you didn't have well, the money, possible, I mean, anything, I guess, I mean, yeah. possible he walked. I mean, it, but I mean, you know how long Quebec to Pittsburgh is? We're not talking like walking <laughs> like from, you know, uh, Kansas City to Independence or something like that. We're well, talking about a journey that could take years on foot. Well, it would feel that way, but that's all people did was walk. You couldn't afford a horse. That was your car. Yeah. And, you know, like, I remind you that during like uh, in Kansas City, when um, during the Civil War, when everybody was evacuated, a woman walked all the way to Texas. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, people were a lot tougher than we are today. We're, no you know, doubt. I wouldn't even walk to Independence. I, I mean, it would have to be like desperate times. But most people don't like walking across the street anymore. Where am I going to park? I, I need my car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. Seriously, it's why I avoid downtown. Mm. So yeah. In any case, he says he says that he, uh, you know, moves to St. Louis. So he goes from Pittsburgh, and then he gets on a flatboat down the Mississippi river. And he, and he, he, he rolls all the way down to new Orleans. But how does so he, he get says, from Pittsburgh to the, to the headwaters of the Mississippi to get on this flatbed to get to where he needs to go? I have no idea. Nobody ever asked. Or if they didn't ask those questions, then it wasn't documented at least in anything I can find. I I'm mm -hmm. still, I'm, he's one of those I'm going to keep on my radar because I'd love to figure out a little bit more about him, but he says that he goes down to, uh, to New Orleans. So he's up, you know, it, well, first he goes, you know, says he was with the Lewis and Clark expedition. Um, 
which doesn't add up for a couple different reasons. And this actually happens after he's in New Orleans, he says, but um, it, it doesn't add up partially because that expedition is very exceptional in the fact that there's a lot of documents for it. There are pay records, there are diaries from multiple people there. I mean, it was a government contract. Mm-hmm. So you have like you had to, in order to be paid, you have to be on a list. He's not on any list. <laughs> so that's kind of, I mean, I'm telling you, although a lovely story, that's a story. Yeah. Now, but he did say he goes down to, during the War of 1812, he ends up in New Orleans. On, he floats on down to New is, Orleans. Is this Forrest Gump we're talking about? Like, is this, is, are we going to see him like at, at meeting John Kennedy and being part of a great football team years later? Because that's kind of where I feel like. We're I know. It does feel like that. It's just, yeah, the exceptional life of Forrest Gump, um, minus the fact that he never became rich, you know. Right. So, and, and also, you know, that that's an exception. I say it was an exceptional tale in the fact that uh, they did such a good job weaving together historical events, making him a part of them. Yeah. In circumstance or happenstance. But he ends up in uh, New Orleans and he says that Andrew Jackson at this point is uh is in control of new orleans it's the war of 1812 and he says he wants to enlist but they told him he was too old mm. in 1812 well in 1812 <laughs> if you're born in the 1750s i mean you're you're 60 some years old mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well for whatever the reason and the guy would have had and and to be fair to kansas city and really the people that were exploring like and i'm talking westward expansion exploring Although we have people like Jim Bridger who are not French Canadian, most of these guys have French Canadian roots. So including old Pino, um, who is no doubt born in Quebec, that we can say was a fact, you know, and his first name was Jack, essentially, you know, the American pronunciation. Um, And, but people never knew his name. It was kind of one of those things that later came up that was like, oh yeah, this is my actual name. But he ends up in St. Louis and he meets a guy there And this is true. So now we're like, we don't know about all this other stuff, but this part we know is true is that he meets a guy named Andrew Drips and he was born in 1789, died in 1860. Andrew Drips uh, was born in Pennsylvania. He served, he actually served in the war of 1812, legit. And then he moves to St. Louis where he becomes part of the Missouri Fur Company. And he's also stationed. So he's stationed near Bellevue, Nebraska. So just like most of these uh, traders and trappers of the time, he ends up marrying a Native American woman named, an Oto woman named Mary Mm -hmm. in 1822. We have to assume, because Andrew Drips is his best friend, we have to assume that where Andrew Drips we know is, so is old Pino, you know, like he was kind of in tow. Right. And so that's kind of, so we, I had to follow Andrew Drift's life then. And he was, you know, he's a pretty important early Kansas City, and if you will. So in 1830, he joins, Andrew Drift joins the Western branch of the American Fur Company that's owned by John Jacob Astor. Okay. So he goes out West and they're trading and trapping and he's got, we know he has old Pino with him. So what was interesting, they're stationed mostly in Idaho in like South East Idaho, really near where my sister-in-law actually is from. And they had a rivalry at the time with the American Fur Company. And that is, what's interesting about this is that's owned and operated by like Jim Bridger, Thomas Fitzpatrick, William, uh, Milton Sublet, which is William Sublet's brother. These are founders of Kansas City. I mean, mm-hmm. these are guys, Jim Bridger like ended up retiring in Kansas City. And the fact that there's like this connection, they all end up 
in Kansas City later is pretty interesting. So they're in 18, we're talking 1830, like Kansas City's not even a town yet. Right. Um, and they're, they're in rivalries. So what they used to do is they would have a rendezvous point where people would know to take the wagons so they could get supplies for their, you know, expeditions. And this rendezvous, this rendezvous point on Powder River was in Pierre's Hole. So we're still in the Idaho area. It happens in July, 1832. We know for a fact then Andrew Drift is there and so is his old Pino character. And he makes it on the pay records at this point. So they end up actually having to work together, these two fur companies, because they're attacked by a Native American tribe. They thought it was the Blackfoot. The Blackfoot were super violent. And so they go after him. And it was actually this tribe called the Gross Ventress. And there's this huge battle that happens. It's the largest, I think, battle with Native Americans that happens at this point in the history. 26 Native Americans are killed and at least a dozen or so traders and trappers are gone. Andrew Drift fights in it, Jim Bridger fights in it, old Pino's there fighting in it. I mean, it's, I mean, it's crazy. So we know that for a fact. And what's interesting is the day after this battle, like just coincidentally, the Oto bride of Andrew Drift, Mary, ends up having a child. She is pregnant. She ends up having a child named Catherine the day after this battle. And Catherine ends up being old Pino's like best little friend. He's a, you know, he calls her my, my petite Catherine. So my mm-hmm. little Catherine, he's holding her, carrying her around camp. Like he loves this little girl. And it just, it's kind of odd that it happens the day after one of the only documented things we have about this guy's life. Right. You know? it's, it's, it's crazy, but I mean, it, it, it's also like he's borrowing stories from so many different people and combining yeah. them all into one to kind of become his story. And so he doesn't go with Lewis and Clark. He ends up with a fur trading company. But yeah. then one of the stories that, that, that I found just fascinating is he claims to have broken a leg and to have crawled 22 miles in 20 days to yes. get back to where he needed to go. Another kind of tall tale that yeah. this guy is telling people and, and letting people know about that may or may not be true. So did he crawl to Kansas City? How did he end up getting here? <laughs> well, and that's an interesting uh, point that you put. Uh, did you see The Revenant, the movie The Revenant? I have not, no. Oh my God, Bob, you have to, okay, that put that There's on a lot your... of movies that I have to see. I need to see Top Gun. I need to see- Oh Disney my God. Dancing. I need to see a even... lot of these movies that I'm just not a movie guy. I never have been. I don't think I, I ever mean... will be. I'm not a huge, I, yeah, I don't waste a lot of my time, you know, watching, you know, these type of, these types of programs or watching movies. I haven't been to a movie in years, mm-hmm. but like, and I mean, no, I did so- see the Kurt Warner movie a couple of weeks ago in Chicago and that was very good. I was really, oh, okay. really, really like surprised how good it was. Oh, well, see, so you can, so you can sit down this, the Revenant's a little long, so get yourself, you know, uh, some of your vodka yeah right and a <laughs> and notepad your, to keep track spirits. of who's who <laughs> and your spirit mixers yeah. gave me the moscow mule mm-hmm. um when yeah so though the revenant is an incredible story and it's based in the same time period and it is based on a true story and it also involves these traders and trappers the reason i bring it up as i know a lot of our people that listen have seen it it is an incredible story of a man who shouldn't have lived he shouldn't have survived he was left to be left for dead um, and he was able to survive. It was rough out there. Like, so to say 22 miles and walking, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but I, I would, yeah, I don't know. I think that there, there's probably some method of truth to this one. So 
the story goes as this, and this, this story was told uh, is documented in newspaper accounts. And it's also documented in Father Bernard Donnelly, who was the first you know, resident Catholic preacher or, or priest in Kansas City, met old Pino in 1845. By the way, said at that point, he was told he was over 100 years old. That well, point. see, but if he was born in 1750, then 1845, he's not 100. The math doesn't. He said he was about 100 years old. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. Now, again, to be fair, too, Bernard Donnelly didn't know when he was born either. So, yeah. you know, here we go again. So anyway, he, but he doesn't have any tall tales that he's, you know, you know, spinning out there about, you know, building a fence in Montreal and ending up finding Kansas City. It is a lie, or I should say it's a send a lie, isn't it, Bob? Mm-hmm. But and, and remember, old Pino was super Catholic. So I really don't think he just he didn't know. I mean, I and I maybe he was a little Alzheimer's, you know, had Alzheimer's or something. Sure. I don't know. So here's what happens. So he meets him around 1845 and he's introduced to him as old Pino. Like, hey, dude, this is old Pino. Meet old Pino. And of course, Bernard was like, hey, old Pino, what's up? So he meets him and he, he notices immediately he walks with this crazy limp. And his, he says that his legs like don't seem to want to work together. That's kind of how it's described. So he, of course, later learns the story. And he's told that he's working for Drips, Andrew Drips in the Black Hills totally probably true and he sees a buffalo so he hides and he gets his gun out boom shoots the buffalo like yeah cool got got me some meat for a while well the buffalo (laughs) goes after him (laughs) sorry this is funny but you know in my head I'm picturing this so he the buffalo goes after old Pino and attacks him and and I love it because the story even says that old Pino you know used the old trick of playing dead so he just like lays down and plays dead (laughs) But the buffalo is not fooled. So no. he goes after him and ends up breaking his leg below the knee in two different spots. And mm. so he passes out from the pain, wakes up, and he's shocked to find that he actually had killed the buffalo with one shot. So it just the buffalo's reaction was to attack its aggressor, if you will. So at that point, he wakes up and he's like, great, I can't walk. What am I going to do? So he takes his knife out and he use, uses it to cut down a sapling. And he creates like, you know, essentially, you know, a splint. And then uses his rifle as a crutch. So he either walked or crawled, you know, probably took turns doing both to back to camp. It said he was 20 miles from camp and it said it took him 22 days to get there. That's a mile a day. That's a mile a day. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, it's absolutely insane. And then went six days without eating, you know, during like this stuff, like this, this guy truly survived and and maybe really saw it all at that point in time right he experienced everything you possibly could experience but he finally gets to kansas city and he's here obviously right before kansas city truly becomes kansas city Mm -hmm. when we look at old pino what kind of impact what kind of Mm -hmm. uh you know effect did he have on on the founding of our town like why is he important for the history of this city i guess well that's the thing i don't know if he was important I, i he was but he's one of those that because of my job as a historian is to tell you the stories you've never heard, right? Right. Not focusing always on these people we've heard of and finding these, these elusive characters that are certainly characters. Um, <clears throat> I think he's important. There's a couple things here. Um, finding documentation, and we'll talk about that here in just a few, to find documentation for this is very difficult. So to know what his impact was is, is pretty difficult. But what we do know is this. By 1834, Pierre Choteau, of course, Kansas City, here we go, right, right, has right. bought the interest of the American Fur Company. And so by 1839, 
Pino, old Pino is listed as an employee. At this point, he would have been, according to records, if you will, 90 years old, whatever. So there's a connection right there to Kansas City. Andrew Drips ends up by 1840 settling in the West Bottoms, which were called the French Bottoms, mm -hmm. if you will, with all these French Canadian Catholics. And of course, we have to assume old Pino's with him, right? Um, he's still doting on, you know, Ma Petite Catherine and all of this. And so he moves to the West Bottoms and then they flood. And so in 1846, Andrew Drips buys 40 acres of land, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere at 13th and Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and That's Bill, way out south back then. Oh, actually, it was 13th and Summit. Yeah, way out south, 13th and Summit. He ends up buying 40 acres and building a log cabin. And in 1853, so, so Andrew Drips is super important to Kansas City's history because he's a very well-known national character. We might not read about him in our history books today, but he was a name that you heard back then. So it wasn't a Kansas City name. It was an American name, mm -hmm. an American history, historical na narrative that would happen. So Catherine ends up marrying a guy named William Mulkey in 1853, and they settle you know, on the same land, whatever. And William Mulkey is a character because he, he owns a saloon, and he ends up making lots of money as a gambler. He gambled horse racing, mm. which is interesting. So in 1857, uh, Catherine and her husband, who have no children of their own, um, well, sort of, well, they do, but anyway, um, they do, but it's a long story. So, so in 1857, um, they build a large brick home on the Strips land, and they are like, they're they built a special room for old Pino because you know Catherine, it's like her adopted dad, if you will. Mm -hmm. He refuses to sleep inside. And the, what Father Donnelly wrote is he had slept for so many years under the stars or in a hut of his own building that he could not sleep in a room with plastered walls. Thus, old, po old Pino lived in the small log cabin in their garden. That's insane. He was just used to roughing it. Yeah. So it was like, this is where I'm going to live. And his life, he just, as he got, I mean, already old, you know, he's already old. He went to mass every day. Mm -hmm. So Father Donnelly became very close to him. Um, he would tend to a vegetable garden. He had berry bushes, tobacco plants, and he was super neat in his appearance, although he had his limp. Um, he was just kind of there. People knew him and, and adored him and all of that. And, and then one day he got real sick. So Andrew Drips had died by 1860. So Catherine is his family. Mm -hmm. And so Father Donnelly has sent a, you know, a message that, from Catherine saying, come quickly to my house. And so he goes there in 1871. He goes there and to give him last rites and, and essentially, you know, he's dying. He comes back the next day and he doesn't find him in the home. And this is just a, such a sweet story. So he's walking through the orchard. This is Father Donnelly and he writes about this and he sees what he calls the most genuine tenderness and simplicity he had never seen before. And what he finds is old Pino laying on the lap of Catherine and she's stroking his head and, you know, he's looking up at her and he's dying and he died in her arms in the garden where it, you know, where he loved and, and spent his last days. Um, and then of course it made the papers, you know, big story because he was 124 years old. And so then of course there's all these accounts like Van Horn, Robert Van Horn, he writes about him and talks about all the stories that old Pino told him and and so it becomes kind of a sensational thing. It's, and sometimes this happens. Someone's life doesn't even seem that sensational or exceptional until after they're dead. And then it's too late. 
you can't ask him any questions anymore. Yeah. Um, so one of the, somebody wrote Robert Van Horn asking like 124 years old, that seems a little suspicious. And so they asked, did he drink? Did he use tobacco? And did he have, did he have high morals when it came to women? Oh. And Van Horn went to his doctor, Dr. Thorpe and said, Hey buddy, answer these questions for this guy. He wants to know, you know, how do you live a long life? This is what, you know, uh, we said that he drank or, or they're asking if he drank, if he used tobacco and had morals. And the doctor wrote back this quote, he smoked and chewed tobacco or tobacco constantly. He, he never missed a chance to take a drink and got drunk as often as he could. He always had a squaw and when he could afford it, had two or three. <laughs> so, so don't take that for a longevity of life, people. Probably not true. <laughs> Definitely not today, but 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 I mean, if if you got to look at like the you know the Paul Bunyan and the Bay Blue Ox of Kansas City, we, yeah. we found our guy. We found our guy. I Opino. know. And good for you, old Pino, for living to 124. I don't think I, I want to be that old. No, I mean, and here's the thing. So then I have to look at this as a historian, right? So old Pino, great guy, Jack Fornace, if you will. Mm -hmm. First thing I'm looking for are birth records. So I've got access to these types of things. And I have access to a translator, thank God, because I don't read the French. So right. I've got, you know, people looking for me, whatever. I did find someone with that name and it, he's baptismal record. And the guy was born in 1785. So that would have made him 85 or excuse me. Or, yeah, 85, 86 when he died, mm -hmm. assuming it's him. Now, the name is not common, but it's not like Diane Houston, uncommon, if that will, you know. But so that was kind of hopeful. I'm like, okay, well, that would make more sense. And if the guy lived such a hard life, the guy slept outside all the time, maybe, you know, maybe. So the other thing I looked at were old accounts, diaries and things like that. That was something that would never been done before. So I actually found a diary that was written in, you know, at the time period by a guy named Warren, like his name was, his first name was Warren, Warren Ferris. The guy, his diary wasn't published until 1940 but it was written in from 1830 to 1835. And in it, he devotes a, quite a lot to old Pino and even explains how he got his nickname. He said that old Pino got it, that all the French Canadian traders and trappers had nicknames and his was old Pino, which Pino, I mean, if you look up, if looking for a translation is like pine, like a pine tree, which- I thought it was, was wine. I thought we were I thought it was Pinot wine. Noir, yeah. <laughs> which didn't even exist back then. But, <laughs> but yeah, and Pinot, by the way, for those of you who want to look it up is, is P-I-N-O. Yeah. So in any case, so, okay. So he's, but he made an impression on an, a young trader, even in 1830, who called him super old Ben. So again, I'm like, well, okay maybe and and he writes a whole story about how they almost got killed by native americans and they found old pino by the river and he started crying and, and i mean it's a that's a, that is primary source documentation and he calls him old then so at that point he would have been 45 years old if you go by this baptismal record that ain't old so i don't have an answer here about that so then i looked at census records 1850 he's not in any earlier census records because the dude was traveling all over the place he wasn't stationary so you know i can't find him otherwise and also he was traveling to places that weren't technically states yet so there are no census records so in 1850 he says he's 60. okay reasonable sure. <laughs> like 1790 is when you are born 
And then 1860, so 10 years later, he's now 74. So he's added on four years. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then in 1870, that's when things just really hit the fan. He's 109. He's listed as 109 years old. <laughs> this Poor is guy. fantastic. I'm finally glad we got the official story of our friend Jerry and Selmo. <laughs> exactly. He can. No one can ever really pinpoint the age or the mission of said person. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I, I think that we have to go back to the fact to remember that life back then was a lot more difficult. Life back then was a lot more complicated in some regard. There was no need to know when you were born. There was no need to have that. And even in 1871, the fact that he made it into uh, Father Donnelly's record of death and, you know, in his record of death, he even puts in parentheses his real name, which he had only learned, you know, a few years earlier. That was a pretty early record for Kansas City death, 1871. And he made sure to record it with his nickname and everything else. And so you, you take it for this. The guy got moved. He's buried in Andrew Drip's plot. So he's buried with Andrew Drip's and his wife in a mm -hmm. beautiful monument. He's moved from downtown Kansas City from uh, the original Catholic cemetery to the new Catholic cemetery, which is now the old Catholic cemetery, St. Mary's. He's there. And for you know the rest of hopefully forever and ever, assuming it holds up, that headstone's going to read that somebody is 124 years old, and he's a French-Canadian Catholic who was super devoted, you know, and c'est la vie, old, old Pino, that's life. Whatever it is, it is. <laughs> well, that's the story of old Pino. Obviously, nobody knows for sure how old he was, what he actually experienced, but his stories are really, really awesome. And if half of them are true, I think we found ourselves a pretty cool, original Kansas City. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.